0: Good morning, brothers and sisters. We extend a warm welcome to all our brothers and sisters who have joined us in church this morning for worship of our triune God. We also extend a special welcome to all visitors who have joined us this morning here in church and to those who are with us via the live stream. May we all be comforted and encouraged through this preaching of the gospel and may God be glorified by our worship. Consistory has the following announcements. Today we commemorate Pentecost, where the Holy Spirit was poured out on God's people. Next Sunday, on the 12th of June, we will celebrate the Lord's Supper in the morning service. Sister Julia Terpshire from the Free Reformed Church of Manijong and Brother Dow Arupka have indicated their intentions to enter into the married state according to the ordinance of God. They desire to begin this holy state in the name of the Lord and complete it to his glory. If no lawful objections are brought forward, the ceremony will take place, the Lord willing, on Friday the 24th of June at 11am in the Free Reformed Church of Darling Downs with Reverend A. Pole officiating. The Free Reformed Church of Darling Downs has extended a call to candidate Rodney Denboer. You are reminded that there will be a meeting with one of our missionaries, Reverend Ryan De Jong, this week Thursday. In this building commencing at 7:30 p.m. Both services today will be led by a Reverend Poppy. Before we commence this service, let us sing together hymn 50, verse 1 and four.
1: Please rise and let's worship the Lord. <clears throat> As God's people, we confess that our help is in the name of the Lord, who made heaven and earth. Amen. Grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth. Amen. Let's sing another song, praising the work of God the Holy Spirit. We're going to sing together from hymn 47, verses 1 and 2. sang together in Hymn 50 that one of the things the Holy Spirit does is that he brings sin to light so that we are able to confess that to God and to receive the gift of God's grace and forgiveness. I'd like to read with you at this time from the book of Exodus, chapter 20. We're going to read the law of the Lord, which God uses to, to show us our sin, that we may humble ourselves and receive Christ's forgiveness. And God spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image, or any likeness of anything, that is in heaven above, or that is in the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them and serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children, to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and who keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. And Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. You or your son or your daughter, or your male servant, or your female servant, or your livestock, or the sojourner who's within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day, and he made it holy. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land which the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, or his male servant, or his female servant, or his ox, or his donkey, or anything that is your neighbor's. Let's now make a confession of our sins. We're going to sing together from Psalm 32, verse 1. to God. Let's ask God for his blessing. Dear Father in heaven, on this Sunday morning, we have so much gratitude in our hearts to you. You're the God who accomplished the work of saving us. You sent Jesus Christ into this world to die on the cross. And Christ rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven. And as glorious and powerful King. Together with you, Father, he he sends down the Holy Spirit into our hearts. We're so thankful for the gift of your Spirit. We thank you, Lord, that by means of your Spirit, that you lead us into a relationship with you. You reveal yourself to us. We are born again. We are regenerated. We realize that you exist, that you're real. We realize that you're the awesome God, that you are the one who created this world and who holds all things in his hands. And we also realize that you're the holy God, that you're set apart from sin and there's no evil in you. And then we're convicted of our own sin, Lord, because we're not like you. By nature, we're sinners. And so often it still happens to us that we do things that are offensive to you. We thank you, Lord, that with your spirit that you convict us of our sin. We pray that you do so again this morning. Grant, Lord, that as we think about your law and as we reflect back on our life this past week, that we're able to to identify those places and those times where we have sinned against you. Sometimes in weakness, sometimes in rebellion, sometimes we know better and we we try to fight against it, yet it still happened. Sometimes, Lord, we're just careless, and we allow sin to perpetuate in our lives. Show us mercy, Lord. Forgive us. Be gracious for Jesus' sake. Father, we thank you for the promise of your grace and forgiveness. We thank you that sin does not have the upper hand. We thank you that Christ defeated the devil. We thank you that through the powerful work of your spirit, that you make us alive in Christ. You allow us to live these new lives. Pray that as we open your word this morning, as we consider these things, that we may realize how rich we are in Christ. That we understand what a great power you have. What a great gift you've given us. And that that you're a God who, who looks on us in mercy and who delights in us for Christ's sake. Father, we pray that you would please give us great faith and that you would draw us near near to you. And we ask that you do these things for Jesus' sake. In his name we ask for the forgiveness of all our sins. Amen. So this morning, brothers and sisters, we get to celebrate the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. It's also a special occasion for us this morning. We have the... Fellowship. There's a fellowship weekend for the singles in our churches, so we probably have 50 single members of the, of the churches who are with us this morning as well, praising God. The theme of the, uh, the weekend for the fellowship weekend is spiritual warfare. And so this morning, we're going to read a few passages of scripture that tie in the theme, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, and also what Jesus Christ does in, in rescuing us from Satan's power. I get to preach to you from John 16, the verses 12 to 15, and in preparation for that, I'd like to read two passages, one from John 15, and then from Colossians 2. So I invite you to open your Bible with me. We're going to read together John 15, verse 18, to John 16, verse 11. So you can find that on page 1072 of your guest Bible. John 15, starting at verse 18. This is part of the final discourse of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's seated with his disciples at the the last Passover. He's about to be um, arrested and crucified. And he says these words to his disciples. He says, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. They would not have been guilty of sin, but now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen and hated both me and my father. The word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without a cause. But when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the father, the spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me, and he will, and you will also bear witness, because you have been with me from the beginning. I have said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. And They will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. But I have said these things to you that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told you, that I told them to you. I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you, but now I am going to him who sent me. And none of you ask me, where are you going? But because I've said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you, That's the text. So we'll get to that in a minute. First, let's read together. We're going to read Colossians 2, the verses 1 through 15. Colossians 2, starting at verse 1, and we'll read the first 15 verses. Colossians 2, verse 1, page 1169, there God's word says, For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea, and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. For though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and being built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, According to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. In him you also were circumcised with the circumcision made without hands, by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in Him. So far. Let's now sing of the, the care that God shows to His people despite the attacks that they face. We're going to sing from Psalm 56, the verses one, four and five. text for the sermon this morning is the next few verses from the passage we're reading together in John 16. It's John 16, the verses 12 through 15. Find that on page 1072 of your guest Bible. Let's read those verses together. John 16, starting at verse 12. The Lord Jesus Christ says, I still have many things to say to you Then after the proclamation of God's word, we're going to sing, once again, Praising the Spirit, hymn 47, the verses 3, 4, and 5. Dear brothers and sisters, congregation loved by the Lord Jesus Christ, The devil wants to own you. The devil is a powerful, intelligent, malevolent being who has a staggering amount of control. The Bible tells us he is called the ruler of this world. He's intent on bringing into his kingdom as many people as he can. He has thousands of years of experience in tempting and deceiving and enslaving those who do not believe in Jesus Christ. He actually has billions of people in his power. Revelation 12 tells us that after Christ ascended into heaven, then Satan lost his place and he and his angels have been thrown down to earth and that their goal is to attack the church. Woe to you, O earth and sea, for the devil has come down to you in great wrath because he knows that his time is short. We're told in 2 Corinthians 4, verse 4, that he has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. Or 1 Peter 5, verse 8 tells us that he is a roaring lion seeking whom he can devour. You know, The Lord shows us that if the contest were between us and the devil, then we would lose hands down. We have a little picture of that. Job one. Satan comes into God's presence. God says, have you seen my servant Job? And Satan says, well, of course, because you protect him. And God says, okay, you're allowed to inflict harm on him. But don't touch him. Was there any contest? Did the devil have difficulty in any way attacking Job and making his life miserable? No, there was no contest. In one day, his sheep, his donkey, his cattle, all his possessions are taken away from him. And the house where all his kids were gathered together, it collapses and all ten of his children die. And God talks to Satan again and God says, well, look at him. He still serves me. And Satan says, yeah, skin for skin. You touch him and he'll curse you. And so God, again, gives him permission. He says, okay, you can touch him, but don't kill him. And again, there's no contest. The devil, he has the opportunity, and Job is, from the, from the tip of his head to his feet, he's covered with these painful sores. And so the Bible gives us the picture that if it's Satan versus us, we lose every time, hands down. That like just gives a little picture of who we're up against. There's only one way to be protected from Satan and his attacks. The Bible tells us that's through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. You must believe the Lord Jesus Christ, because he is the only one who has the power and the authority to rescue you from Satan's deceptions. Well, the question then becomes how does Christ do that? What means does our Savior use to protect us from Satan's assaults and to bring us into glory? Well, The Bible tells us that he does so through the powerful working of his Holy Spirit. In John 14 to 16, Christ promised his disciples that when he went up into heaven, he would not leave them as orphans, but he would come to them and he would live in their hearts through his Spirit. He says that he would send the Spirit of truth. And the Spirit would take what is Christ and declare it to us. It is through the powerful work of the Holy Spirit, it is through his work in teaching us who Christ is and who we are in Christ, that we are set free from Satan's power and that we are brought into the kingdom of God. I preach God's word to you with this theme, Christ sent down his Holy Spirit to guide us in all truth. Then I actually decided to to change the points a little bit. The first point is going to be the need for the Spirit's guidance, and the second point is the gift of the Spirit's guidance. So first, the need. The context here, brothers and sisters, is is that in John 13 to 16, our Lord Jesus Christ says some final words to his disciples at the last Passover. One of the thoughts he expressed to them during that time is that, he says, in the first place, he says, I'm going to be crucified, I'm going to die, I'm going to be away from you. And then he said to them, when I leave you, don't be surprised if you suffer persecution. John 15, verse 18, we read it together, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you are of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore, the world hates you. So he told him up front. He says, don't be surprised if you suffer for the sake of my name. And in the next chapter, in the first verses of chapter 16, he continues that thought. He says, they will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think that he's offering service to God. And They will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. If you believe in me, Christ is saying, don't be surprised. If you're persecuted for the sake of my name. And then we have to understand that this persecution, it's, it's not just a physical thing, it's not just a jealousy thing, it's not just that some people want to get something from other people, but it's also a demonic thing. It's a little later in that meal, we're told that Jesus Christ had a side conversation with the Apostle Peter. It's in Luke 22, verse 31. He warns Peter about the trial he's going to face. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Satan's demanded to have you. He wants to sift you like wheat. Not sure exactly what that means. But if Satan wants to get his claws into you, if he wants to chew you apart... That it can't be good, and we're told in the next verses that Peter denies his Lord three times. Is this profound sense of guilt? He leaves. He goes out after after seeing Jesus in the high priest's house. He goes out, and he grieves deeply. He he weeps bitterly because of the sin that he committed in denying his Lord. That well, just gives you a little picture of some of the ways in which Satan often attacks the people of God. It's often that he leads you to sin, and he fills your heart with a sense of shame and guilt over the things that you've done. You know, that's his whole intention. Revelation 12, verse 10, he's called the accuser of our brothers. It's when you sin, then you're, you're guilty. And Satan knows that, and that's the basis for accusation. And so when you've sinned, then he goes into the Father's presence and he says, hey, Lord, have you seen? Look at that. He did this and did that, did this and that. And so he belongs to me. He's on my side because he sinned against you. And your justice means that he rests under your wrath, and that he can't be with you. You read exactly that thing happening. Zechariah 3, verse 1. The prophet Zechariah, he says, Then he showed me Joshua the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord and Satan standing at his right hand to accuse him. So this is after the exile. You have this the high priest at the time, his name was Joshua. And Zechariah has a vision of God in which Satan is accusing the high priest. And Satan's plan of attack was, If I take out the leadership, if I take out the mediator, then he can't mediate for the sins of the people, and I can take out the people. It says there that Joshua was, was clothed in these filthy garments. All the stain of sin. And so Satan had a basis for an accusation against him. Well, that's not the only approach that Satan has, brothers and sisters. There's also this, this outright persecution. You know, shortly after the, the Lord Jesus Christ ascended into heaven, then the apostles, they experienced that. Acts 4 tells us that the scribes and Pharisees, they arrested and they threatened them. It was intimidation, Acts 4. They're thrown into prison, Acts 5. There's murder of Stephen, Acts 7. You have persecution of the whole church, Acts 8. That's a theme that gets developed throughout the whole New Testament. 1 Peter 5, I mentioned it. They were told that the devil is a prowling lion seeking whom he can devour. Now, it's when he, when he causes you to suffer, and many times when we suffer intensely, then it's really hard to, to see the goodness of the Lord. It's really easy to doubt the promises of God. It's a place where, where Satan loves to attack people, to undermine their faith in Christ and to lead them into sin. Or another one of his, his approaches is deception. Actually, the scripture tells us that's one of the main ways. In which Satan attacks the people of God. 1 Timothy 4, verse 1, for example, I just mentioned a couple examples. Paul warns Timothy that in the last days some would abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and the teachings of demons. And sometimes you read that and you wonder the teachings of demons, like what would that really be? That's quite striking. Demons who forbid marriage and require abstinence from foods that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. It's demonic teaching to say that a person is not allowed to get married. It's demonic to say that you're not allowed to enjoy certain foods that God has given to you. Many times, his attacks are, are sneaky. We read together Colossians 2 verse 8. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. These elemental spirits, these are the stoicheia, these are the demons. So what Paul is saying here is he's saying that when you you receive these human traditions, these philosophies of your time, many times they're demonically inspired. And that's true of our society as well. a great deal of the thinking of our time is secular. There's no knowledge of God. There's no acknowledgement of God. The thinking of our time is that we're autonomous. We get to make our own decisions and we get to live our own life. We get to live for our own pleasure. These are demonically inspired thoughts. There's no recognition of who God is and that life is to be lived in service of God. Or other times the devil's deception is with regards to, to doctrine, especially with regards to who Christ is. Galatians four verse nine, we have this passage where the Apostle Paul, he's appalled that the Galatians are turning to a different gospel. But now that you've come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world, whose slaves you want to be once more? Once again, he refers to these elementary principles, these demons. The Galatians at the time, they fell into, into the trap of Christ plus. To make it into heaven, it's not enough that you believe in Christ. You need Christ plus circumcision. Christ plus the Old Testament feast days and sacrifices. And Paul says that's a teaching of demons. It's not Christ plus. It's not Christ plus what you do to make it into heaven. It's faith in Jesus Christ who has done it for you. You are saved by grace through faith in your Savior, Jesus Christ. Or probably the greatest attack that we face, brothers and sisters, is through temptation. 1 Thessalonians 3.5, the devil is called the tempter. Just as he tempted Adam, just as he tempts Jesus Christ, so he also seeks to tempt each one of us to sin. Well, the Lord warns us against this temptation in the first chapter of James. He calls us later in James to resist the devil. He reminds us that he's able to strengthen us so that we not give in to temptation in 1 Corinthians 10. Well, if you think about this, brothers and sisters, do you, do you realize why life is often so hard? Why is temptation so powerful? Why do you start your day with all these good intentions, and you look back at the end of the day, and you realize that you've fallen into sin again? Why is it so easy to get into conflict with your family members, with your friends, with fellow church members, with people at work? Why are you dragged back into the same old sins that you've confessed and you've renounced before, that you seek to flee from? Yet you you have these besetting sins. Why does it seem that the whole world is stacked against Christians? Well, the reason for that is because we have powerful enemies. It's not just our own sinful nature. It's not just the sin in this world, but there are demonic forces who are at work, who seek to use those things to lead us away from God, to blind us, to hold us in our sin, and to hold us under our guilt. The devil and his demons, they're powerful, intelligent creatures. They literally have thousands of years of practice at enslaving people. And it is their intention to lead people away from God. Well, Where does it leave us, brothers and sisters? How do you deal with that? The most important thing you need to realize is that you're not on your own. That you don't do it in your own power. Our Lord Jesus Christ, before he went into heaven, he told his disciples in John 16, verse 7, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Christ says, I need to go away so that I can send you the helper. Literally, the Greek word here is the paraclete, parakalao. And the word paracleo, paraclete, it literally means to be called alongside. The helper is someone who is called alongside another person to provide protection and assistance and defense. In a legal context, it's someone who advocates or defends or intercedes for you. In the scriptures, the word paracleo is most often used in the context of comforting, or encouraging, or providing counsel for another person. And so in real life, this is the beautiful task of a father who stands alongside of his son, and who provides advice for his son, who sets a context for his son, who helps his son to know how to live and how to respond to the challenges that he faces. It refers to an older woman in the congregation who stands alongside a young mom and who helps her to know how to raise her family, how to love her husband, how to live in in faith and in holiness before God. It refers to an office bearer who stands alongside of God's people, who teaches them who God is and what it means for them that the Lord is their God in the specific circumstances of their lives. The greatest gift that we have, brothers and sisters, is that... Christ has sent his Holy Spirit into our hearts to do this for us. The reason why Jesus had to go away is because he wants to stand alongside of us in a much more intimate way. He wants to comfort us, to help us, to protect us, to guide us. It's in verse 13. where it says, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. So really what what the Spirit's going to do is that he's going to guide us into the truth. The devil's a deceiver. He wants to lead you away from the truth. But the Spirit is the helper who reveals the truth. He shows you that the Lord Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. He shows you who Christ is and what Christ has done for you. If you know Christ, if you believe in Jesus Christ, then you are found in him. And if you are found in Christ then you are protected from the attacks of the devil. Satan doesn't have anything on you. When you believe in the Lord Jesus, when you expect your help from him, when you look to him in faith, then the Lord Jesus, then he keeps you in his truth. Then he protects you from satanic assault. He helps you to see through the lies of the devil. The Holy Spirit, he's come to protect us and to lead us close to God. It's really quite striking. There's, there's this contrast that gets set up in the scriptures. If you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, then the scripture says "Then you are in Christ. It's a phrase that's used 200 times in the Bible. If you are in Christ, that's different from being in sin. It's different from being in Adam, from being in darkness. If you're in Christ, then Christ lives in you. Then his power will be manifest in you. Then he will reveal himself to you. He will give you all of his resources, and he will bring you into glory. In the words of Colossians 2, verse 17. No, it's not Colossians 2. It's, it's 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. You're a new person. If you know Christ, if you believe in him. In the words of Colossians 1, 13. Christ rescues you from the devil's power. He keeps you safe. It says there, he has delivered us from the domain of darkness, and he's transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. I have a little problem, because the next pages of my sermon are all blank. And so maybe I can use a sermon from somebody who um, has an extra copy. doesn't help very much. Thank you. Sorry, that was distracting. So the point that I was just making, and I wasn't really clear in saying this because I was distracted in my mind, but the point that you need to take home with you is that Jesus Christ has come and if you believe in him then you are in Christ. The devil has got no authority over you. If you are in Christ and Christ has the power Christ looks after you Christ brings you into glory. And what does that mean? What does Christ do for you? Well the first thing he does is that He sets you free from sin. Sin is powerful. It's a powerful force in your life. But Jesus Christ, he's come to rescue you from that sin. He's come to forgive you for your sins. It's when you believe in him that you can trust that those sins are forgiven you. And Christ has, the way he's rescued you from sin, the way he's done this, is that he takes the power that he has... And he gives it to you through faith in him. And so first, he came into this world, and he did all the things that God expected you to do. So when Christ first came into the world, you read about Christ's public ministry. He starts off as public ministry. The very first thing we read, first we read about his baptism, Matthew 3. And the very first thing we read about is him facing temptation. As you are tempted, so Christ also was tempted. Well, how does he deal with the temptation? The devil comes to him and the devil says to him, turn the stone into bread. And he says, jump off this this temple and I'll show you. You can show the world how great you are. The devil says, bow down to me and I'll give you all the kingdoms of the world. What does Christ do to that? He responds with the word of God. Deuteronomy 6, Deuteronomy 8. He says, I can't do that. In Deuteronomy 6 to 8, this is a part of Deuteronomy that really emphasizes that you love the Lord with all your heart, soul, and mind, and with all your strength. And so Christ is saying to the devil, he says, I love my Lord with all my heart, with all my soul, with all my strength. I'm not falling for those temptations. I'm going to serve my Lord. And because he resists the devil's temptation, then when you look to him in faith, then he can strengthen you to resist the devil's temptations. It's really striking. How did Christ do it? The Bible tells us through the work of the Spirit. The Spirit helped him. Back in Matthew 3, the very last verses, we're told that he was anointed with the Holy Spirit. And then in verse, Matthew 4, verse 1, we're told, Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness where he was tempted by the devil. And actually, if you go to the parallel passage in Luke 4, it even emphasizes the work of the Spirit more explicitly. In Luke 4, it says, And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. So the Spirit filled him, the Spirit led him in the desert, and the Spirit strengthened him to sustain the attacks from the tempter. When you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, then Christ pours his spirit into you. He gives you his spirit. And he gives you his strength to resist the temptations that you have faced from the devil. And that's really striking. In the next verses, we read about Christ starting his public ministry. In Luke 4, he preaches the gospel from Isaiah 61. He says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives... And recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. He's anointed, and two of the things he says is that he proclaims liberty to the captives, and he sets at liberty those who are oppressed. Well, who are captives? The very next verse, verses, he casts out a demon. He releases. A person from the captivity of the devil. At the end of the chapter, we're told that the crowds were amazed because with authority and power, he commands the unclean spirits and they come out. He's filled with the spirit to set his people free from the devil's assaults. You know, it's true that the devil's powerful, brothers and sisters. It's true that he has great authority, but Christ has defeated him. Christ has greater authority. Christ is seated on the throne in heaven with the authority of his Father. That's the point of verse 15 of our text. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take from what is mine and declare it to you. What does the Father have that he's given to Christ? There's actually a couple of places where it talks about the Father giving Jesus Christ all the elect. So in John 10, my Father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. And that same thought is expressed in John 17, verse 10. But there's something else that's emphasized through the scriptures that the Father has that's given to Jesus Christ. In John 17, verse 1, Christ prays, he says, Father... The hour has come, glorify your son, that your son may glorify you, since you have given him authority over all flesh, to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. The Father has given the Son authority over all flesh. That's what Christ reminds his disciples of, just before he goes up into heaven. He says, Matthew 28, verse 18, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, therefore go and make disciples of all nations. The Father has given me his authority. The Father rules over all, his control over all things, and he's invested that in me. I have authority over all things. I rule over everything. I rule over Satan and his demons. And if you believe in me, then the Spirit will take what is mine and declare it to you. He will give you my strength. He will enable you to resist the attacks and the onslaughts of the evil one. We talked a moment ago about how how good the devil is at tempting us into sin, brothers and sisters. When When you sin, then you're guilty. and You carry that guilt and the shame of that guilt. Well, Christ came to rescue you from that. He came to deliver you. And he accomplished his work. When you confess your sins to God, you know, it takes a lot of humility. When you have the humility to do that, you go to the Lord, you confess your sins, you acknowledge what you've done wrong, then God will forgive you for Christ's sake. He will take all your sins away from you. We read together Colossians 2.13, and you who were dead in your trespasses... "...and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven all our trespasses by cancelling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame, triumphing over them in him." God saying, all your sins were forgiven in Christ. All your debts, they were taken and they were nailed to the cross." When Christ died on the cross, then every one of the debts that you owe God was nailed up there together with Him. And so there is no more guilt. When God looks at you, He doesn't see you as someone who's a sinner. But for Jesus' sake, He sees you as someone who He loves, someone who's forgiven, someone who's righteous, someone who's holy in His sight. And then it is the great task of the Holy Spirit to help us remember this, to help us understand this. Christ says, I send my spirit into your heart to declare he will take what is mine and declare it to you. He will take my righteousness and declare that to you. The spirit came to convict the world of righteousness. He wants you to know that you're right before God. That as you confess your sins in God, that you believe in Jesus Christ, that all your sins are covered and all Christ's righteousness is given to you. And so quite literally, when God looks at you, then he sees you as he sees Christ. And he says of you, this is my beloved son. This is my beloved daughter whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. Well, our problem is that we forget it. We know it, we're told it, we believe it, and then we forget it. And so we need to be told it again. We need to be convicted again. And the Holy Spirit needs to work it in our hearts again that we understand who Christ is and what Christ has done for us. And that's his task. That's why he came. That's what Paul prays for. For the Ephesians, he he prays that God would give you spiritual wisdom and understanding so that you know the power of God and you know what he does for you. It's Ephesians 1. Or in Ephesians 3, he prays, he says, I pray that you being rooted and strengthened in love, that you being rooted and strengthened, may be filled with the Spirit, and that the Spirit would, would let you know how wide and deep and how high and long God's love for you is. And that's what the Spirit does. It's by means of the Word. He, he shows you that you have been forgiven. And he shows you how much God loves you. And he creates the context where it's safe for you to go to your Father. You don't have to bear any shame, because you have no guilt. Your father loves to have you to come into his presence. Do you understand the gift of Pentecost, brothers and sisters? You are the people of God. He bought you, and He loves you, and he's bringing you to glory. And so he sends His holy Spirit into your hearts so that you may believe in the Lord Jesus, that you may be convicted that He is your Lord that he will carry you and that he will bring you to glory. That you don't have any fear, that you don't hold back, but that you open your heart to your Father, that you love him with all your heart, that you rely upon Christ, and that you look to Christ for all the resources that you need so that you continue in faith in him and that you receive his blessing in your life. Let's praise the Spirit. Let's thank the Father. Let's praise our Lord Jesus Christ, who has secured these blessings for us. Amen. Let's now sing together. We're going to sing to the praise of God, the Holy Spirit. We'll sing John, or sorry, sing hymn forty-seven, verses three, four, and five. call upon the Lord in thanksgiving and prayer. In our prayer this morning, will remember the, the families of our brother George and Elaine Brinks and also Fred and Jerry Deke, their brother-in-law, that's um, Brother Bill Osborne in Albany. He passed away this past week. It's quite quite quickly for him near the end. So also the, the Jair is here, remember you in prayer as well. We'll also... Um, Ask God for his blessing over the De Grateful that the word De can worship with us and pray that God would bless them during the time they have in WA here. And we also remember with gratitude that our brother and sister Van are able to be in worship with us here this morning. For the first time in almost six months, five months, they can uh, sit at the back there and they can worship with us. So let's thank God for that too. Let's pray. Almighty God and Father in heaven, we thank you that you have entrusted all authority into your Son, Jesus Christ. You love your Son. You sent him into this world to to suffer and die, and Jesus Christ came here, and he accomplished the task that you gave him. He bore all your wrath against all our sin. He lived a perfectly righteous and holy life before you. He finished the work that you gave him to do, and he rose from the dead and ascended into heaven. We thank you, Lord, that he is the authority in order to, to bring to glory all those whom you have chosen. Dear Father in heaven, we thank you that Jesus Christ and that you together with him, you pour out your Holy Spirit on us so that the Spirit may declare to us what we have in Christ. We thank you that, that he, he gives us faith in you and that through this faith that the righteousness of Christ is applied to our account, that the forgiveness is given to us. We thank you, Lord, for the powerful working of your Holy Spirit so that Satan and his demons do not have the final say in our lives. The great gift you give us is that you protect us from their assault. They actually can't, they can't do anything against us. They can't even touch us without your permission. And so, Lord, they, they're really limited in what they can do. They have very little power or authority over us. We pray then that we may flee from sin, that we realize how much you love us, that we understand how much you've done for us in Christ, that our hearts may be directed towards you. Help us to realize that insofar as we sin, insofar as we we look at the darkness and enter the darkness, that we are cooperating with those who hate you and with those who are devoted to to fighting against you and destroying your precious possession, your church. We pray then, Lord, that you will protect us from their assaults, that you give us the wisdom of of our Lord Jesus, that you would guide us in the truth, that in this way that we may share in in you and in your glory. Father, we we can't do these things by our own strength. We don't have the, the ability to resist temptation. We are those who are easily deceived and led astray. We are those who are easily enslaved into sin by our own nature. And so, Lord, we pray and we trust that you will do this for us through the powerful working of the Holy Spirit. Thank you that, that the Spirit has come and that he will guard your church and that he will accomplish the salvation of your people. Holy Spirit, we praise you and we thank you for the work that you do. We pray that you would live powerfully in our hearts and we pray that you lead us to great faith in our Lord Jesus, and that you rescue us from the power of the devil. Thank you for your love for us. Thank you for your work in Christ and in us, and for bringing us to glory. We pray then, Father, that you'd also take care of us in all the, the difficult circumstances of life. Sometimes we're tempted to sin. Please strengthen us against that. Help us to realize your power and help us to call on that. Sometimes we face these difficult temptations or or sorry, these, these delusions. We live in a world that's, that's devoid of the knowledge of your name, and it's easy to get caught up in the worldview, the zeitgeist of our time. Pray that you protect us from that. Pray that you be, especially with the, the young people who are at universities, and also with, with those of us who have contact with unbelievers on a regular basis. Sometimes we're, we're forced to be in contact with those who, who revel in rejecting you and rebelling against you and we have a lot of ideas that are, that are really opposed to you. and We pray that you protect us from that, that you keep us safe. When we watch the news, when we read the newspapers, when we read books, when we watch television or the movies, please, Lord, give us the wisdom and discernment that we need to flee from evil and to protect our minds. Please also keep us from curiosity about evil. Grant that we not curiously inquire and want to know about things that, that you hate and that are opposed to you. Father, grant that, that whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is excellent, whatever is praiseworthy, that we may think about such things. Pray then that you would also please grant your blessing to us when we face attacks. Sometimes we face difficult health difficulties. We we're sick or we have ailments or sometimes accidents, especially for the seniors, Lord, in, their, in the, the final season of life. They face the breakdown of the body, and there's, there's a lot of trouble that they face with that. Pray that you would sustain your people, that you grant that during these times that we may continue to believe your goodness, that we understand that you have the power to help us, that we rely upon you, that in the meantime, that we also may be sustained by you, that we're willing to accept that we must go through much suffering to enter the kingdom of heaven. Father, we pray that you would please accept our gratitude that our brother and sister Vendongan can be with us in worship today. Please Continue to bless her sister. We want to ask that you would please grant that her body's able to accept her heart and that also she's able to get off some of the medication that she's taking. Please give her restored health and strength. Grant, Lord, that, that she has energy, that she also can, can have your blessing so that she can get about and that she can meet with your people once again. It's such a joy that you brought them here this morning, and we thank you for that. We pray for, for a complete recovery for our sister. Father, please sustain them and uphold them during this time. We also pray that you would please take care of, the, of our missionary. We're so grateful that Reverend and Mrs. DeYoung could come here from p g We wish to ask you, Lord, for a really blessed time for them, that during the time they're here, that this may be a time of, of rest and refreshment in one sense, a time where they can renew relationships a time where they're able to, to have good fellowship with your people, to be strengthened in their faith, to be built up in, in joy and gratitude for you, for who you are and for what you've done. Grant that as a church community that we can show our love for them, that we're able to support them and to look after them. And please grant that they may go home in, in due time with a heart full of gratitude to you for the riches of your grace towards them. Father, please, please give them the, the strength and energy that they need for this. Please be with their children as well. And please... Granted, the children can have a blessed time here. And we also pray, Father, that you please be near to those who are grieving the loss of loved ones. The final curse on sin is death. And yet we believe that Jesus Christ has overcome death. We pray that you give that comfort to our brother and sister Brinks and Deke and Jera, that you comfort them later this week when they need to to bury the body of a loved one of of the late brother Bill Osborne. Father, thank you for, for the promises of the gospel. We pray that that you would please be near to them and that you comfort them through this time. We also pray, Lord, that you please bring us back here again this afternoon. Grant that we can worship you again, that we can be built up by your word. Also wish to bring some of the single members of our churches before you. We're grateful that many of these single members could join us in worship this morning. wish to ask you, Lord, for a blessing over the time that they have in fellowship together this weekend. Grant that they may have beautiful relationships with each other, that they can be encouraged and built up by one another, that they have much joy. Father, thank you for the blessings that you give them. Thank you for the service that they offer to you and your church in so many ways. But we think that, we know that some of them would, would love to be married someday. And if that's the case, Lord, we pray that you would grant this blessing to them. It's also a, a difficult thing because it's a matter of accepting your timing. You are God, and, and the gift of a of a husband or wife is a gift out of your hand. And so please, please help those who who long for this, that they're able to accept this from your hand. At the same time, Lord, we also pray that you would please grant your grace and nearness. There's some who who are really at peace with being single, and who love to to be in that place. We receive that as a gift of your grace as well. Please surround them with your nearness, Lord. Please be a father to them and love them. And please accept our thanks for, for their presence also, not just here this morning, but also in our lives. Lord, please grant that as, as a communion of saints that we can know and love each other, that we're able to care for each other, and that we can assist each other on the way to glory. Please hear our prayer and grant us our requests. We ask for Christ's sake. Amen. So, brothers and sisters, the collection this morning is for the mission work in Papua New Guinea. We just heard that Christ has the authority to gather his church. And so you have the opportunity to also support the work of, of Gathering Christ Church. The collection will be taken at the door on the way out. And at this time, I invite you to rise, and we're going to sing together of The Authority of Christ in Gathering His Church, Hymn 53, the verses 1, 2, 3, and 4. receive now the blessing of God the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all amen